in Ephesians chapter 3. Tonight, after the evening service, we'll be discussing uh, the possibility of a small Christian academy again for this coming fall. And if the church is ready to vote on that, we'll take a vote on it. If they feel like they need another week or so, we'll uh, do that as well. But want to encourage our members to be here especially. And visitors, you're welcome to be a part of that as well and, and to come and uh, be here for the evening service. And certainly want to encourage you to come back again tonight at 6 o'clock. Ephesians chapter number 3. And bear with me, we're going to read the entire chapter this morning, and uh, then we'll jump into the message. Ephesians chapter 3, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, Whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world had been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Father, we come to you this morning. I pray that you'll bless in the next few moments. And Lord, guide and direct our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray that at the onset our wills will be yielded to you. That before we ever even get to a time of invitation, we will already have made our minds that if you will show us your truth, our answer is already yes, we will walk in it. I pray that you would help us to have the discernment of your Holy Spirit this morning as we read this text and as we speak of the truth of it. I pray that you would give clear direction that your Holy Spirit will empower and strengthen us. Father, that through his leading and through the power of your word, that you will accomplish in the hearts of men that which we cannot do, and that is to bring about a transforming in the hearts of men. Father, help us to be strengthened 
By the might of the Holy Spirit in our inner man, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Ephesians is a very amazing book. I love, it's one of, one of my favorite books, Philippians probably being my favorite book in the Scriptures. And uh, it's one of the few that I really go back to quite often and kind of feast on it. There's so much in it. It's a small book, but there's a lot, a lot in there. And an old preacher said one time, when we come to the Scriptures and we read it prayerfully and thoughtfully, we ought to squeeze all the juice out of it and get everything we can from it. We get to the chapter, what we call the, chapter, the third chapter of the book of Ephesians. We find that Paul lays out some things at the early part of the chapter about the fact of the Gentiles being made fellow heirs with those. Up until this time, Paul had, or most of the apostles and the preaching had been done primarily to the nation of Israel, and Paul being designated by Christ, and he kind of affirms that here as we get to chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians, that he's an apostle to the Gentiles. And it's by the leading of God that he is an apostle to the Gentiles. He goes on as we get to verse number 6 in this chapter by saying that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of, the, uh, of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And I'll tell you, out of all the people that ought to be excited about this chapter, it ought to be you and I. Amen? Because we get the opportunity to be partakers of the same salvation that was offered first to the Jews. And we get the privilege to have the same relationship with God and to be fellow heirs in the promise of what God had given to the nation of Israel. And uh, the Bible says that this is made possible by the gospel. By the way, the gospel is nothing more than the preaching of the death the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as payment for our sin. And if you're here this morning, you say, Brother Greg, I don't know if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Can I tell you this? If we know that Jesus Christ died, was buried and rose again, and we put our faith and trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, He's promised to forgive us of our sins and to give us a home in heaven for all of eternity. And I want to encourage you to make that decision today. But as we get down to verse number 6, and we find that Gentiles are now made a part of this great promise, Paul goes on to say, as we get to verse number 8, "...unto me, who am less than the least of all saints..." And by the way, let me just stop here and say this very quickly. It's very, very important that as we draw closer to Christ, as we'll see here a little bit later in this chapter, that as we draw closer to Christ, we get a little better view of what we really are. There's a danger in our human nature to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, isn't there? And, and we all do it, don't we? I, I mean, the truth, truth of the matter is we all do it. We all think that we're better than we are. And yet the truth of the matter is, as we draw closer to the holiness of an almighty and a holy God, we cannot help but see our undone condition. And by the way, let me just say this. It's not something that, that we ought to be ashamed of. It's something we ought to be grateful of that God would stoop down and reach down to pick up somebody like that and to give them the opportunity to be saved and knowing that we don't deserve it. That's the amazing thing about this. And Paul, of all the men of Scripture who wrote more Scripture in the New Testament than any other writer of Scripture, we find that as he gets to verse number 8, he says, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints... Is this grace given? You know what Paul was saying? Paul said, I know me. I know what kind of a wretch I am. Paul knew 
his past. And Paul was amazed that the one who was the least would receive the matchless grace of God. That which he knew he did not deserve. He says, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Cannot be described, can they? I ordered some books a, a few weeks ago. I still have two of them left. Uh, some folks have already read them and given them back to me, but I've been loaning them out. A book by A.W. Tozer on the knowledge of the holy. A tremendous book on the attributes of God. One of the things he makes mention of in chapter 2 of that book is whatever we think God to be, he is not. Because the truth of the matter is he's unsearchable. Whatever we can imagine in our minds does not even come close to scratching the surface of who God is. And we can think of him and we can have reverence for him. And I'm not discounting that. We ought to have reverence for God. But whatever reverence we have for God is not even scratching the bucket of what He deserves. It's not even scratching the surface. It's not even a drop in the bucket of who He is. And we get here in verse number 8, Paul's speaking of this, and he speaks of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I, I often wonder why it is that we're so shy to go to a lost and a dying world and share with them the unsearchable riches of Christ. What an amazing thing to share with folks. I, I don't know if we're worried about offending them or not, but how in the world can we offend them when we say, listen, you're already condemned. Christ came to save you from it. I, I'm trying to tell you how to, how to be helped by this. I think for far too long Christians even have believed the fact that Christ came to condemn men. He never came to condemn them. He came to save them. They were already condemned. He came because He loved them, not because He hated them. He came because He wanted to give them life and to give it to them more abundantly, not because He wanted to hinder their life. And sad to say, in the day that we live, a lot of Christians even feel that way about Christ. They feel like Christ is, is squelching their fun and the, the time that they could have in their life and that He is just a God of a lot of don'ts. Can I tell you this? He is a God of freedom. He sets us free from the law of sin and death. How can we ever not be encouraged and excited about sharing that with somebody who's lost? Paul is excited about this. He's amazed by this. He's overwhelmed by this. Because here he who is the least among all the saints has been given this grace to take the unsearchable riches of Christ and to preach them to the Gentiles. What an amazing thing. Never stop to think how amazing our God is. That He would allow us the privilege of serving Him. Why do we look at it as something that's a drudgery? Why would we ever look at service to God and think, well, I have to do this I, out of obligation. It ought to be something we do because we love Him. Out of all that He's done for us, how can I do less than give Him my best and live for Him completely? Verse number 9, he goes on to say, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. There was a truth 
that from the beginning of time, not even the angels understood, only God did until this time, that even to the Gentiles, God would extend His grace. Folks, that's the mystery. That's something even the angels of heaven could not understand until God did it. The Bible speaks of this and the fact that he had given this mystery and the knowledge of it to Paul as he establishes Paul as a Gentile, uh, an apostle to the Gentiles. In verse number 10, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose that he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory for this cause. And I want you to notice as we start our message here in verse number 14. All of this has been introduction. Watch what he says here in verse 14. For this cause. What cause? The cause of the fact that Christ has allowed the Gentiles. Who is he speaking to here? He's speaking to the church at Ephesus, Gentiles. Because of the fact that God, in His riches of His unsearchable grace, has engrafted and enabled the Gentiles to have a part, to be fellow heirs. For this cause, because of this, He tells the church at Ephesus, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to say this, uh, just as a, a passing moment in the service, but certainly merits our, our consideration. Paul here is speaking of praying. And yet he uses the phrase, for this cause I bow my knees. Can I just pause the message for a minute and just make a word or two about prayer? When it comes to entering into the very throne room of God, while God has given us direct access to Him, and according to the book of Hebrews, we're to come boldly to the throne of grace we are not to become arrogantly. There is to be a sense of humility. There's to be a sense of our own sinful nature and condition as we come in and realize that here is a holy God that we are now having the privilege to stand before and to offer our petitions to Him. And there ought to be a sense of humility in that. It comes to praying so often I fear that we take prayer far too lightly. Where are the days of the weeping during our prayer times and the times where we realize and know our undone condition? Where are the times where we realize the fact that we cannot demand anything of God because we do not deserve anything from Him? But we come in a humbleness of spirit, yes, with boldness, but not with arrogance. And we lay our petitions humbly before Him and say, Lord, I have a need. Father, I need something here. Paul comes to Christ, and even though Paul was perhaps what we would consider one of the great apostles of his day, he knew and understood that he was really one of the least. And when he came to Christ in prayer, it was not with arrogance. It was not with a pompous piety. But he came with humbleness of spirit. I have been in meetings before where men get up to pray the service and you wonder who are they talking to who are they talking to 
certainly doesn't seem to be God. We've lost such a view of who He is. We live in a day and age where we really kind of just make God an afterthought, don't we, in our daily lives. We kind of push Him off to the side and say, Lord, I'll take care of this part myself. When the truth of the matter is He must be a vital part of every moment of our lives. We've lost it somewhere along the way. Paul said, for this cause, what cause? Because he's allowed you to be a fellow heir. Paul said, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice two things here. First of all, I want you to know our obligation to pray one for another. And secondly, I want you to notice the things that we ought be praying for one for another. We have an obligation to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then I want you to notice as Paul prays for this church at Ephesus to not only recognize their fact that they are fellow heirs in the promises of God, but he wants them to be partakers of it. Can I say this? It's one thing to know what God has given us access to. It's another thing entirely for us to take advantage of them, to put them into practice in our lives. So often I have said to young people over the years as they've come to an altar, I said it's easy to come forward and make a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. When it becomes difficult is when we stand up from there and we now have to go live it. Can I tell you this, that while we can sit here this morning and we can amen and we can shout and we can rejoice over what God has done for us and the fact that we're saved this morning, the truth of the matter is many of us live a powerless life because we're not partakers of the things that God has made available to us as His children. Paul begins to pray because he wanted the church at Ephesus to realize, folks, you are fellow heirs, you are, you are receivers of the promises of God, this unsearchable riches of His grace. And he says, I don't want you to just know it, I want you to be partakers of it. What is it that he begins to pray for as we get to verse 14? And I believe we find here a pattern of things that we can pray one for another for and things that we can work on in our own lives. As he says in verse number 15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. I want you to hold your finger there for just a moment. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Psalms and turn to the 119th Psalm, if you will. I love this psalm. It's one of my favorites out of the book. It's a very long psalm, but boy, what a great, great truth is found in this over and over again as, as the psalmist delights himself in the precepts and the statutes and the testimonies and the ways of God. What joy comes to his heart as he's humbled by it. In Psalm 119, as we get to verse 17, the psalmist says this, Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. And I want to focus on the first part of that. The psalmist asked the Lord to deal bountifully with thy servant. He was not asking God to deal with him based on his own merit. He wasn't coming to God and saying, God, I've been... Faithfully serving you, I went out so many hours this week and knocked on doors or I went to the church and mowed the grass or I I went to the Sunday school class and I taught the little boys and girls this week. And Lord, because of that, I, I feel like you owe me this amount. And that's not what the psalmist was getting at here. 
The psalmist, the one who was a great man of faith, who stood up in front of the, uh, the Israelites as he was just a young boy and, and stood in front of a Goliath, and even though the whole nation, including the king, was fear in fear for their lives in front of Goliath, he stood up and said, Who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Of all people that you would look at in Scripture and say he might have a leg to stand on if he were to go to God and say, God, you owe me this. David didn't. He said, Lord, I don't want you to deal with me out of what I, my merit is because the truth of the matter is if God dealt with us on our merit, we would deserve hell. I don't want him dealing with me that way. The psalmist said, I want you to deal with me out of your bounty, out of the grace that you have, this richness of your grace that's infinite. It cannot be measured. The psalmist said, I want you to deal with me out of your bounty, not out of my merit. I believe that's what Paul is getting at here as we look in verse number 15 and 16. He says that he would grant you, watch this, according to the merit that you have. Is that what the Bible says? No? Oh, let's try that again. That he would grant you according to how many hours you have served Him this week, that He would grant you according to how much prayer you were in this week? Is that... That He would grant you according to your faithfulness to Him. Is that what it says? And if you've got a King James Bible in your lap today, it doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? It says that you would grant them according to the riches of His glory. Lord, I don't want you to deal with me by my merit. I want you to deal with me out of the riches of your glory. By the way, any harvest that the Lord gives is so much better than any harvest you and I could ever do. That He would deal with us according to the riches of His glory. That's what Paul is praying for. He said, y'all are joint heirs, you're, you're fellow heirs in the promises of God. I want you to be partakers of this. That we would be recipients of the abundance and the richness of the grace of God's glory. Why is it that Christians walk around powerless in the mully grubs and timid about their faith? When God has given us a storehouse of His grace and His glory that's at our disposal, and can I tell you, the storehouse is infinite. It is never exhausted. There's not one Christian who could ever use it up and the other Christians would be mad at them because they used up all of God's grace. It's always there. Paul said, I bow my knees and I pray for this. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. And I want you to notice this. He's praying that God, and secondly, in verse number 16, will be strengthening them by His might, by the might of His Spirit in the inner man. Can I tell you this? It's one thing to be strong and steadfast outwardly. But oh, when a man can be strong and steadfast with the strength and the might and the power of the Holy Spirit, in the inner man. That's really where it matters, isn't it? 
what we do when nobody else is around. We used to call it character. We used to call it integrity. Nowadays, it seems like many Christians coming out of the woodworks with things that are in their life that we're shocked by. Why? Because they outwardly were everything they ought to be, but inwardly they had lost the might and the power of His Spirit in the inner man. Where are the people of God that begin to walk with God in such a way and say, Lord, I want Your power in my life. I want the leading of Your Holy Spirit in my life. And as a man that is drunk with wine is controlled by the spirits of that wine, I want to be filled with the Spirit and controlled by the same Spirit that God has given to all of His children. You see, Christ comes to indwell us. The Bible says that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit which we have of God. And we're not our own. We're bought with a price. But I also know that over in Revelation chapter 3, As he's writing to the church at Laodicea, he's speaking to a church, not the lost. As he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Oh, that we would allow our hearts to be open to him and say, Lord, you have all of it. You have all of it. You have every part of me. The old nature likes to come to a point when we hear the Word of God preached many times of being sacrificed. And I know our our new spirit says, I want to be yielded to Christ. And we may come and make a decision for God and say, Lord, I want to be yielded to You. And as the book of Romans says in Romans chapter 12, to make ourselves a living sacrifice. But a man was talking with me one day about this subject, and he said the only problem with the living sacrifice is it continues to crawl down off the altar. We are to walk in the Spirit. We are to walk every day, every moment of every day in the Spirit. Not just have instances and times. We're not to have moments where we're close to God, but then the rest of the time we kind of put Him on a back shelf. But Christ, who is our life, ought to have preeminence in the inner man. We can dress nice and come to church. We can carry a Bible. We can be like other families and fight and argue all the way to Sunday school. (laughs) Then get out of the car and come in and put on a smile. But I wonder on Sunday afternoons and Monday mornings and Tuesdays throughout the day, Wednesday and Thursday, the week grows on and we're weary Are we strengthened with His might by His Spirit in the inner man? When people are around you throughout the middle of the week, do they notice a strength about you that they can't seem to explain? There's just something different there. The Holy Spirit of God. Paul said, for this cause I bow my knees. I pray for you. Because not only do I want you to know this, I want you to be partakers of it. I want these things to be evident in your life. That Christ, in verse number 17, may dwell in your hearts by faith. He's getting the mindset here that Christ is to be there 
not just momentarily at moments that we tend to go to our prayer closets or maybe our time of devotion each day, but He's to dwell in us. That means He's to live there. That's the place He calls home. That's where He resides. It was said of Charles Spurgeon on a day of ease that he took with some of his friends as he went to a, a very rare day of recreation and relaxation. The friends wrote later in their journals, we did not know when he was speaking to us and when he was speaking to God. Oh, that we could dwell in the presence of God all day, every day. There would never be a moment of our life that we would not be conscious of His working and His leading and His presence. That being rooted and grounded in love, the beginning and the sustaining of our love, the fact that it was rooted there and it's also the grounding, it's a reference to a tree and the foundation of a building, Not only does it have its beginning there, but it has its continuation there. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. You being rooted and grounded in love. What love? He's getting ready to tell us. I love this. May be able to comprehend. Can I stop there and just say this? Paul is praying that they're going to have the ability to comprehend this, what we're getting ready to say. Meaning that they were not at that point able to comprehend it. But it ought to be what we pray for one another for. That we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And I know the verse ends there, but the sentence does not. And to know the love, didn't we just talk about that in verse 17? But we'll look at the next two words. The love of what? Love of Christ. Look at the context here, verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Whose love? Christ's love. Might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ. Look what it says here. Which passeth knowledge. Paul said it's going to be impossible for you to fully comprehend this. But my prayer is that every day we comprehend it a little bit more. A little bit more about the breadth of God's love. And the length of God's love. And the depth of God's love. And the height of God's love. Because the truth of the matter is we don't comprehend it. And he goes on to say, as we get to verse number 19, that ye might be filled, and I love this, with all the fullness of God. When was the last time you met somebody, a Christian brother or sister in Christ, that you looked at and said, there's a person that is filled with all the fullness of God. God has every part of them. There ought to be times we go to our prayer closets and weep because we lack the fullness of God. 
Boy, the closer we get to Him, the more we see how far we are from Him, don't we? The closer we're drawn to Him as we walk with Him on a daily basis, the further we realize that we are from being filled with all the fullness of God. Paul said, I don't want you to just know this. I want you to be filled with all the fullness of God. Whatever it is that God has made available, I want you to have every part of it. Two things this morning. Number one, we need to pray for one another in this aspect. I need to be praying for every one of you in the sitting here this morning that you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. And by the way, you need to be praying for me. And secondly, we ought to then look at these things and say, Lord, do I have them in my life? And if not, Lord, help me. Help me to draw closer to you, to be strengthened by the might of your Spirit in the inner man. Then we come to a verse that is preached on quite often, a very familiar passage of Scripture. And I've heard great sermons preached on this verse, sermons of faith. But the truth of the matter is, it's dealing with the fullness of God. Now unto Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think in the context of our Scripture. We're dealing here with the fullness of God. Unto Him who is able to fill you more than you could ever ask or think. Unto Him who is able to accomplish the strength of His Spirit in your inner man more than you could ever imagine or think. We're dealing here with the power of God on our lives. The fullness of God in our lives. Unto Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You say, Brother Greg, how do you know it's referring to that? Because the verse is not done yet. According to the power that worketh in us. Whose power is it? Whose power is it? Verse 16 to be strengthened with the might by His Spirit in the inner man. We misuse this verse so much into making it whatever our heart's desire is, claiming this and saying, Lord, this is the verse You've said You would do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, and this is what I want. It's dealing here with the fullness of God in our lives. Is that the desire of our hearts? For God to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. To have all the fullness of Christ dwelling in us richly. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Throughout all ages, world without end. And Paul said, Amen. So be it. This is what I pray for. I pray for it for a group of Gentiles that I know who have been made fellow heirs. So the promises of God. They've been joined into the same body. We of all people are most grateful for that. But I wonder so often in our lives. There's such... Almost to epidemic proportions, there's such depression 
among God's people many times. Dissatisfaction, lack of contentment, lack of joy. Because they fail to have the fullness of God in their lives. My dad used to say for many, many years, I heard him preach. Sat under his ministry for almost 40 years. I heard him say so many times, some people have just enough Christianity to make themselves miserable. They've maybe put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, although even that could seem doubtful if there's no fruit of the fullness of God in our lives. How many Christians partake of the quickening of the Holy Spirit of God, the making alive, the new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And yet willingly choose to continue to live under the law of sin and death. They willingly choose to not have the fullness of God in their lives. There's one thought I could leave you with this morning. It would be this. Let's seek to have the fullness, all the fullness of Christ in our hearts and in our lives. Paul said, I pray for this. I bow my knees for it. Let's pray for it for one another, shall we? Look around the room at your brothers and sisters in Christ here. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could say, I've been praying for you this week, my brother or my sister, that you'd be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh, that He would fill us. If you're here this morning, you say, Brother Greg, I don't know if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Can I tell you this? We can never experience the fullness of God until we've accepted His gift of eternal life. He'll never come and indwell us and fill us until we've first put our faith and trust in His shed blood on Calvary. And that's the first step. You can get that step done today. You can come during the invitation time. We'll take the Word of God and show you how you can get that matter settled this morning. Please don't leave here lost. Please. If you're here and you say, Brother Greg, I know, I know, I know that I'm saved. I know it. I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and He's given me great boldness and great confidence in this fact. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. I know it. Then can I ask you this question this morning? Have we experienced all the fullness of God? And secondly, are we praying that our other brothers and sisters would experience it? Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, I fear that many of the days of great revivals, powerful moving of your Holy Spirit are long gone. And Father, we long to see it again. But Father, it comes at a price and it comes at a cost that I fear we are not willing to pay. Lord, many folks that name your name, that say, I am a Christian, I've trusted you as my Savior. Lord, many go about their lives as if it has had no effect on them whatsoever. There's no leaning on you for dependence. There's no pleading with you for your power and your strength. There's no yieldedness in our hearts to your leading. And then, Father, we wonder where our joy went. We wonder where our boldness. 
where our desire to see folks saved has gone. Lord, I pray that you'd help there to be some folks in this room today that would seek to have all the fullness. Perhaps others that would come and say, I want to commit myself to pray for those that are in our church and others that I know that are Christians to have all of the fullness of God in their lives. Father, for those that may be here today and are lost, I pray that you'll do a work of conviction in their heart, help them to see that need. I pray that you bless the invitation time and, Lord, use it according to your will as you would see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. We'll have just a verse or two of invitation.